Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Eric Bison, a wannabe farmer with an idea. On the show, we discuss alternatives to end-stage capitalism. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Idea has kind of taken off a little bit. Why don't you, uh, why don't you bring us up to speed? All right, hey everybody. Um, yeah, basically, well, my main idea is that uh, everybody eats, right? And if if we can get our food from people who actually care about us, we're going to be eating better food, and then eventually we can branch that out to everything else. Um, I'm starting small. I don't have a huge yard, but I do have a shed, and. Uh, because of the weather I'm at, I'm having to look at indoor farming methods. And uh, for the starting, I, um, I'm i doing microgreens. Uh, it's the most nutrient-dense superfood you can grow. It grows super fast. It's super easy. Uh, I've been eating it for the health benefit, and now I'm, more, I'm to a point where I can start selling it to stores and restaurants uh, just to develop a capital source to basically fund expansion until we can get rid of capitalism and do it off of, you know, stuff that actually matters. And then I actually, I just started, uh, mushrooms too. One of the things I'm into is permaculture and, uh, you know, just forming the symbiotic relationship with the growth space. And there's no reason you can't do that with urban farming and indoor farming. And so the idea is the microgreens, um, they, they require a little bit of humidity and about the same environment as the mushrooms, but the microgreens, I don't know if everybody knows this, but plants, uh, they breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. And mushrooms, like us, uh, breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. So the idea is to create that symbiotic relationship and uh, just expand on that as I learn more. And it's exciting because I learn more every week. It's awesome. Yeah, we could close down like some fossil fuel you know, power plant, you know, or business, you know, some, some business with a high carbon footprint and close it and uh, plant trees and, you know, green spaces or farms there. I think we could solve this, you know, uh, global warming problem. One, uh, you know, one small piece of land at a time. What I know won't save the global warming crisis, the climate crisis is, Electric cars, especially if those electric cars are powered by fossil fuel plants, and uh, right, yeah, I think the, that's more. Well, not only that, but you got to look at you got to look at like source material. I mean, the, the, there, there's 
there's oil, there's crude oil and the, the byproducts of refining it that go into almost every single body part of that electric vehicle. So until we come up with uh, sustainable and, uh, you know, something, something that could be mass produced without taxing uh, uh, the environment uh, uh, for source material. So instead of using oil, use hemp, right? It, it, instead of using concrete, you can use hempcrete or they actually make a, a, a concrete out of mushrooms. And we're talking about things that are better products, but they're not out there because the current industry leaders uh, you know, they want to keep us trapped in their market that they can control. Yeah, that's the one thing the, one, um, the, the capitalists do. I'm watching a, doing a bunch of research for a uh, podcast I'm going to do about the, um, uh, the central banking system, which is essentially a banking system owned by private banks, deceptively yeah. named the Federal Reserve, even though, you know, there, it has, it's under no control of uh, the people or, you know, even the government. They kind of, you know, What's the opposite of that? The, fe- yeah. the federal government is under control of the bank. That's right. That's its purpose. That's, right. that's exactly its purpose. So that's kind of what capitalism is. I think capitalism is, you know, corporations are the puppet masters behind the government. And uh, maybe what you see in the communist Soviet Russia was, you know, they had these like commissar class, this really powerful class of people that made all the, the decisions for the society. Uh, but really, the only difference I think between um, the Soviet Union and the United States is where the power centers are. In the old Soviet Union, it was the commissar class, the autocrats, the um, you know kind of unaccountable um, you know public officials. And in a capitalist society, it's the business class, it's the business elites, it's the corporate um, you know oligarchs, if you will, um, you know the corporate executives, the CEOs. The 1% who own up all the stocks, or even more so the fraction of the 1%, maybe the 0.01% uh, that own the majority of the wealth in this entire country and in the, on the planet. Um, but yeah, I think um, what I want to do is, you know, I, I consider myself like a socialist libertarian or, you know, a socialist anarchist. And all these terms, you know, they're meaningless. Uh, kind of when you get outside of the textbooks, right? These big, thick books that read about political science. Um, but what I think is uh, important is I don't want a system of rugged individualism, which is I, which I think you know maybe Americanized libertarians uh, considered to be whatever libertarian ideology. I want to I want to you know a, I want a autonomous local community, self governed, where you know local businesses care about their neighbors. They want to produce good products. We're not. You know, we're not transnational corporations producing food in, you know, thousands or maybe even more, you know, far, far away distances, trucking them in or flying them in. You know, we're producing it right here. We're making the products right here. We're educating, um, you know, the people in the local community right here. So like communes, you know, so I've read some stuff on like anarcho-communism, uh, anarcho-syndicalism, which is society basically organized around democratic workplaces. Uh, on a large scale, you know, but hopefully the state um, is decentralized or maybe there's no state at all. It's these kind of self-governed local communities, um, you know, kind of self-governing and making up you know, their own rules, their own set of rules uh, in a democratic process. And then hopefully we can have like a large international scale of these uh, federation states, you know, or something along those lines where like I think you have a great idea, you know, up in Washington but that's not helping me not much down here, right, t- where I am in South Texas. But I think it would be really cool if there was, you know, maybe a network of these local communities 
from Washington down to South Texas, where I am, uh, throughout the entire country, and then hopefully an, interna- uh, an international system of these, you know, loosely affiliated, federated, um, you know, states where, you know, we're pretty autonomous, we're making products, we're self-sufficient, we're certainly not all about rugged individualism, we're not loading up the, you know, some food seller just for you and your family and, you know, maybe a uh, hundred guns and thousands and thousands of rounds. We're working together in the local community, farming, teaching people skills, that kind of thing. Like that's maybe utopianism, but that's kind of like the society I'd like to live in, you know, where you don't have to travel great distances to get all the products you need. And from healthcare to, um, you know, food and uh, education, transportation, um, communication is, is kind of challenging. Like, I was just talking uh, on on the podcast with a group of anarchists um, on Sunday, I guess yesterday, and the cell phone. You know, we got these what lithium ion mines for the for the products, probably mined by children. Uh, I don't know. I guess we need technology, right, to connect people over great distances. So there's definitely going to be some maybe negative side effects. You know what I mean to a, to a highly technology based economy, like. Unfortunately, you know, the farming and all that kind of stuff is, is great. Um, but, you know, I think we still might need maybe fossil fuel products and ion, you know, all these dangerous products. Uh, well, I, I, ion is necessarily a byproduct of fossil fuel. I mean, that's something that uh, seawater is going to be what fuels that. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it's a different kind of a technology. But, no, you're right. We, we definitely need to... Um, localized but when i when i say i'm going to start the farm it's because i think breaking people free of the food trap is the first step i also think growing things like hemp and bamboo and 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 mushrooms and some of the other stuff if we could start getting into crystalline technologies where we're taking uh whatever the raw material be whether it be food waste or or you know a a recycled material out of you know a, a beer can or whatever and to be able to break that down to its most common elements, I just saw a thing today where they're talking about actually being able to almost like 3D print any molecule you want out of anything. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like the what are the replicators on the uh, Star Trek where you know you, it just makes your food out of nothing. We're pretty close to that, and so to be able to make precious metals out of you know, carbon that we've burnt down from whatever and how to put it through different processes. And, you know, maybe we study how, you know, the wasp makes paper, or the spider makes web, and we, we, we mechanize that somehow, you know, find a way to, to actually advance our species. And I think the biggest step on that, and one thing that you kind of were tramp, trampling on, but just kind of missing a little bit was we need to free the information. The information will set us free. And, and, and so we're, like I may discover something in Washington and then I can pass the information down to Texas and the people, you know, down in South Texas can use it. And like a lot of the information I'm getting, I got a buddy in, in Uganda that I talked to that he's telling me how to do the farming stuff. And, you know, I got, I got friends, you know, through Twitter and through other social media and just through other connections that I've had where if we can trade the information and get rid of patent protections and copyright laws and all of these things that suppress information, we can free the people and, and, and discovery will happen so quickly because while I'm discovering something in Washington and sharing the, what I, inform, you know, the, all the information I'm sharing open source, you know, you're down in South Texas taking that information and running with it. Meanwhile, people all over the place are able to take that same information, run, you know, a thousand different directions with it. And one of those directions is an aha moment, you know, so, so instead of one little group of 
you know, authoritarian mind saying, well, this is the direction we're going to go because we can actually suppress this market and control yeah. it. And to have everybody just escaping it. I, I, What's that? I, I want to get out of that yeah. small group of elites telling us what to do, you know, a top-down yeah. form of we'll talk about democracy. Yeah, I, I want bottom-up democracy, not some sort of like top-down form, which is, you know, the way I think of a democracy is majority rules, 51-49. We're going to have to go with the 51. And it might not be the right decision, but the people have spoken, you know, instead of this group of elites and technocrats that decide for us, you know, uh, instead of like politicians telling us lies on the campaign trail like what if they actually came to the local community and said hey you know i'm looking to run and then we said well listen if you can do this xyz then you know maybe we'll think about voting for you but until you know you you do something for us and you meet some of our demands we're gonna find someone else that's gonna run you know and we're not gonna vote for you that's that kind of thing instead of you know politicians going out on the campaign trail telling us lies and then doing exactly what they planned on doing before they had some bogus, you know, public relations exercise in front of a microphone. Um, you know, they're basically owned by corporate elites and they're going to go in there and, uh, you know, basically carry out their agenda because that's the people that fund the campaigns. It takes what, $7 billion to run for president. That was the last election cycle. Um, you know, uh, the next election cycle, maybe it'll be ten billion. You know, to win the. Well, see, all those numbers are all those numbers are is a roadblock to keep folks like you and me out of it. Like, I, I, I try this one on, man. I was ta- I was talking to a mutual. This dude's like a crazy narco socialist that's been fighting for this since like the seventies, right? I mean, this guy he's he's been entrenched for a long time. He's tired. But one thing he said to me is, "You don't have representation unless you take, like you're saying, direct democracy. You have your local community, right?" And when they're going to choose their representation, that's going to take it up to the next level. You know, so say it's, uh, you know, from town to city and city to county and county to state and state to federal or regional or whatever. Right. Every time you take that step up, your represent your representation isn't elected. They're done by lottery. That way you get, you know, instead of sending one guy who could put seven million dollars that a bunch of backers gave him so that he could take the position, you get three people elected by lottery who go up and pass that up to the next level. And then from the county, they take their three people selected by lottery of the whole pool to take that message to the next level further. And 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 that's the only way you're going to maintain true democracy. This whole idea of elections and, and, and just crooked politicians taking payouts to side with corporations and sell out our grandchildren's future so that they can retire in a big mansion on a yacht or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It, it's not serving us well. No, it's not serving us well, but that's exactly how the country was founded. If you go back to the Constitutional Convention, um, James Madison's argument was for government was, you know, that we have to have a government that's going to protect the opulent uh, minority from the majority. You know, we, we have to have a government that sympathizes with rich white property owners, because if we had a real democracy, Democracy that's going to interfere with privilege, you know the the yeah. rabble. They're well, going to pass this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once so we, once we can annihilate that, we actually might have some freedom. So the system has been in place in 1776, and the, and, the, and the system has been very, very good to the rich and powerful. It's a very rigid system with a rigid constitution, uh, possibly a right-wing document. You know, uh, I think if you know, with the new constitutions that have been written over the last hundred or so years, I think it would look like a neo-fascist, you know, kind of document. Um, because it's just you know, oh, it's very, based very on rigid. slavery and genocide. Sure, I mean, yeah. you don't have to go any further than yeah. that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it was founded, the country was a nascent empire, uh, an empire state. Uh, we have essentially been in war since 1776. So, yeah, I like the model that you're talking about, but it's going to be very, very difficult. We're obviously not the first two people that have had a conversation about how can we change this political system for the better. I like the idea of um, ranked choice voting. You know, you, you vote for your, whatever, your top five choices, and then you reshuffle them after a round and, uh, you know, throw out the lowest uh, two or three. And then whoever you have out of that, you know, wins, wins your vote and whatnot. I think that, that would be kind of cool. I mean, what, what I would like That's a step is, in the right direction. Yeah. And they, they do that in other countries. This isn't like something crazy. The lottery system would take a lot to kind of get it into place. I think the first you got to have an educated electorate first. We have to have 100 uh, percent, 1 million percent. And that's going to be difficult when the elites own the entire information system. They own the technology, the computers, the Internet. They own the Twitter, the social media companies. They own, you know, essentially the, the textbook companies, right? The the news presses, the newspapers. Uh, you know, of course, the deck is stacked against us. It's an uphill battle. But, yeah, I mean, what we can do is hopefully educate and at least get some ideas out there, people listening to us and maybe following us on Twitter and we retweet some good stuff. Um, you know, grassroots, unfortunately, because, yeah, they own, they own not just the, the media companies. You know, they own everything, the information systems, the, the, the politicians. I mean, yeah, they're, they're um, you know, they, they're getting their message out there, you know, and they even select experts, you know, technocrats. They might even went to Harvard, wear a suit. Uh, and basically all experts are are people that are very articulate and they're able to articulate the consensus of the ruling class. They're chosen, handpicked. Right. Well, no, exactly. And that's where it, it's hard to find a starting point, which is kind of why with, with the farm that I'm starting. So the food is really just kind of a focus point. Right. But the uh, the, the primary goal in it is like right now, it's just me. Um, I'm not going to ask anybody to come into something that is basically me spending money trying to get something off the ground. Uh, if somebody wanted to join, by all means, come on in and you're, you're welcome. But for right now, it's just me trying to get something that's a capital source. But once it's more than me, it becomes an employee-owned venture because the idea is to change the ownership model at, at, at the level of even just a small co-op farm, right? And then you're exposing people to those positions of leadership, uh, to to you know, being able to see what's behind the curtain as far as the business side of stuff is concerned. And that's that education and empowerment that we're looking for in people. And so to be able to change the business model and then eventually because of that right there, you're going to change the model of like, I don't know about you, but I hate going to my job, dude. My job sucks, but I got to eat. So I, I keep going and the paycheck doesn't bounce. So I keep showing up, you know, but it's like, I would like work to be more than that. And so it's, it's, it's the chance to actually have I mean, if you want people to change their lives, most of your life is spent sleeping and at work. Well, I'm not going to come visit you while you sleep. So how about we change the workplace? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, we go ahead and, and, we, and we try and upgrade that to the next level. And then eventually, if uh, I get this business going and it's successful and I'm shouting it from the mountaintops and someone else goes, hey, you know what? I think I could do that too, but I'm not so into farming. I'm going to do this. And then they do something else. And eventually we have this network of people who know how to do stuff openly sharing information, developing things, open source, you know, open the books, just show people this is, you know, I'm not going to patent something to keep it away from you. I'm going to patent it so that I, I put in there, feel free to use it. But anytime you make a development in it, guess what? It's also open source. Yeah. And, and I, I think that some of the, like, I think sometimes 
people want to just throw out everything, throw out America, the stars and stripes, the constitution, the founding fathers. And I'm, I've been there, you know, I, I've had this kind of like anger, you know, we want a place to put it, you know, but like the founding fathers, Ben Franklin, for example, he was all about open sourced uh, ideas. I don't think yes, he, he was any of his uh, technology. He was a brilliant guy. He was an enlightenment thinker. Um, he did all sorts of inventions. I think he set up the first library in the, uh, United States and on the continent, uh, the fire department, a hospital, a university. So, you know, there's some good stuff. We actually, you know, can kind of pick and choose. Uh, I wouldn't pick the constitution. I'd probably throw that out, but I mean, yeah, this open source stuff, you know, but there's, or, there's or, parts of it that aren't bad, but you see, that's the thing you pick from your examples. You learn from history. There were, there were things that Rome did that wasn't bad. There were, you know, but kind of the whole empire thing, not so great, but when it came to like, we're going to move water from here to, de- to there so we can have clean cities. And, you know, and then, you know, eventually once the, I so, guess the Moors came in and I'm, helped them put that I'm back together. I'm pretty big on this. I'm, I'm trying to do this podcast and, 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 and then dig right deep into like central banks and currencies and the monetary system. The more I find out, and that was one of the things that they attributed to the um, collapse of Rome's. They debased the currency. They shrunk the money supply over a very short period of time. It led to economic instability, depressions, and eventually, you know, the people revolted. You can only keep the people down so long when there's mass poverty and hunger and starvation. You know, that I think that kind of breeds revolution. Um, and I was kind of reading about this money supply stuff. There was uh, there's several deceptive tactics that these money changers, these you know banking elites, a lot of them based in Europe and still based in Europe. You know, neocolonialism oh, yeah. is a lot. Oh, you got the, you got the Massimo family in Spain and Italy. You got the Prossers. They're everywhere from you know Israel to Australia, everywhere. I mean, you got you got families that are all and these these families have been controlling the money for some of them four thousand years, thousands of years. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so, um, but what one thing, so first off, during the Civil War, um, and that's what they said in this documentary, they're not they're speculating, you know, it's not hard evidence here, but uh, they didn't like what Lincoln was doing. Uh, I guess he issued debt-free, they called them, I guess they were called greenbacks, debt-free currency the first time, and the only time in the United States history we had circulated debt-free currency. I think actually during the colonial, colonial era, uh, there was a, a short period of time, but it was kind of um, uh, fractured, you know, but he had to yeah, national, it wasn't nationwide. Yeah, he had a national system of debt free currency, the greenbacks and it went really, really well. The economy was booming. Um, and then, you know, some legislation got passed through. Lincoln got um, assassinated. And that was the end of that, you know, and eventually not oh, too yeah. much longer later, uh, the money changers, the, essentially led by European um, banking elites in, in uh you know, in conspiracy with their, you know, American counterparts here, J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers, um, you know, those types of names. They they kind of set up, um, I think it was 1913, the banking, um, another deceptively named centralized banking system. And uh, less than 15 years later, the entire economy collapsed. You know, no, no coincidence there. So the whole reason to set up this centralized banking system was to prevent bank runs and, you know, uh, unstable economies, boom, busts, all that kind of stuff. What happened less than, you know, 15 years after it was set up? 
uh, you know, the, probably the worst depression maybe in modern United States history. But one thing that they were talking about in this, in this uh, video that is fascinating, I should tweet it out, but I'm going to try to, you know, write down some of my ideas on it and do a podcast, a solo podcast on it, was silver. It's very abundant. It's not that rare here in the United States, especially during the 19th century. I guess they were finding silver um, deposits all over the country. And the people wanted, you know, debt-free currency, and they also wanted silver um, currency. It was a lot easier to make, not as expensive, it was more abundant. But what the what the money changers wanted, what the banking elites wanted, was uh, a monopoli- the monopolized the currency and um, the monopolized the money source. And gold was much more rare, so much more scarce. And it was a lot easier to monopolize gold, monopolize, you know, and stash it and hoard it and control uh, and control it. They couldn't do that with silver. So that one of the first things they did was outlaw, um, you know, the, the silver uh, coinage. And, um, you know, that, that led to them eventually taking over control of the money supply after the Andrew Jackson's um, bank wars. You know, they, they were trying to gain control for you know the, the greater part of the 19th century after the bank wars and Andrew Jackson of course the the bankers were very unpopular at the time that's how you know Jackson was able to win the presidency he obviously did some terrible things to the native americans as all presidents do some good things and a lot of terrible things too but um that's what kind of leads me back to you know what capitalism is you know capitalism and we're back to now open sourcing Free share of information, you know, we don't want to monopolize, I don't think it's a good thing to monopolize anything. When you monopolize anything, you know, that's concentration of power. So I want to open source things. I want to get rid of patents. I think it's a great thing, and so did Ben Franklin think it's a great thing to share good ideas, you know. It's a great thing, like, like we're all about this, oh, China is stealing our technology. If we have a good technology here, it only makes sense for them to want to get that technology, to master it, and to use it. Like, why should well, we and, monopolize and, this technology? And just to continue with the example, they've taken the technology that they supposedly air quotes stole from us, right? Right. And then advanced it. They have better technology there than we do now because they took that idea and ran with it. It just feeds that idea. We we shouldn't be mad, though. You know, of course, corporations and elites are mad about it. We should be like, that's awesome. Like, you took our idea and you built on it. Now it's even better. Now, why don't we work together and make something even better than what you have instead of this, oh, let's let's go to court. We're going to sue you. You're not going to. We're gonna throw, we're gonna slap tariffs on your product. Your problem is here in America, you know. The the problem is the people who are in control are not intelligent enough, clever enough, or creative enough to stay in front of that. So, in order to stay on top and maintain their position, they they need to suppress growth. They need to suppress access. They need to withhold in order to maintain their abundance and everybody else not having as much as them. And, and it's, I, I think that's where the big failing in their leadership is, because if you're working on trying to, um, you know, maintain position above actually advancing something forward, I mean, it's kind of like if you're riding a bike, right? If you're just standing there and you're not rolling that bike, but you're trying to stay balanced on it, it's very hard. But if you get going on it, you actually can keep your balance easier, right? You just let it go forward. They're too scared to do that. So they're just sitting there on this still bike that they're trying to hold in place. And and if the rest of us had it, we would just run it down the hill and have a good time and say, we hot, you know, and, and, and then move the ball forward. And, and, and they can't handle that. 
And they, they maintain their, all they're, all they're trying to do is they're not trying to make a better planet. You know, all they're trying to no. do is maintain their wealth and power and control. They use the domestic police force, you know, here to protect property and to protect their wealth. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think generally, I think I would leave it up to the local communities, whether they even want a police force. I'm in favor of defunding. I'm in favor of abolishing the police. I think generally, um, you know, police, they um, preserve chaos you know not not order you know they preserve well, how many, disorder how many people have called the police and then become the victim I, you know or or even if the police came and helped them out now they have to relive this crime so the police can sit there and verify and make sure they actually believe you if yeah. that's even going to go to the level of justice i mean it's yeah but the bigger issue i have is coming with corporations you know these uh, I kind of quote Chomsky a lot or paraphrase them. These are the most tyrannical institutions, the, the most totalitarian institutions ever invented by human beings. They're almost completely unaccountable to democracy, to the public. They are top-down, you know, they are top-down systems of power. You know, orders go downhill. Uh, you, got, you, got, you got a small group of elites at the top, you know, the CEO, the executives, the board of directors, the shareholders, who are making and getting all the profits uh, somewhere down the chain. Well, nothing to actually add value. Providing, yeah, contributing absolutely nothing to real production or of value. Uh, maybe somewhere down the chain you have middle manager uh, who's stepping on the neck of the employee below him, telling him, him or her, you know, what to do. And if you don't do it, I'm going to fire you. Of course, he's getting, he or she is getting his neck stepped on by the person above him. And, you know, maybe somewhere at the bottom, you might be able to rent yourself as a wage slave. So, yeah, I hate going to work as a wage slave. I'd love to, you know, around my house, around my homestead, you know, spend the majority of my waking hours taking care of business here. There's a lot of projects I'd love to get to, including this, you know, know podcasts on uh, the banking system but unfortunately the majority of my waking hours are spent working for the man uh, as a wage slave getting a paycheck so i can pay my mortgage so i can buy groceries so i can pay for my internet which is insane it's hundreds of dollars um i pay a cell phone bill and a cable bill both of which you know you need to kind of be a uh i don't know a, a contributing citizen in this high-tech economy both of these are privately owned companies. They should be public utilities or maybe they should be free. You know, we should have free internet, uh, free free cable. Um, you know, th these things are monopolized. They are pr price gouged. So what corporations do, uh, we're told some story, some myth about capitalism, you know, breeding innovation. But that's not true at all. First off, corporations, um, they're top-down hierarchies, they're totalitarian institutions, they are, um, you know, essentially private tyrannies, um, they have almost no accountability to government or the or the citizen body, uh, and, the, and these corporations, what they do is try to, you know, patent their technology, to try to manufacture scarcity, to try to monopolize, you know, technology, resources, products, um, and then they also are a lot of the times get funding, you know, protections, subsidies, direct payments from the government, from the government. Uh, they also have government contracts in, in the form of like Boeing and North, Northrop Drummond and these, you know, military industrial complexes. We're not buying jet airplanes or assault rifles. That's the government and police forces, you know. So essentially without government, uh, they're getting direct subsidies or buying their product. These companies wouldn't even exist. And then they form strategic alliances 
with other corporations in that sector of the economy working together. So, like, for example, the cell phone industry, you got T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon, you know, and I'm sure there's some smaller, other smaller companies. I mean, is that competition? Well, they're all owned by the same people anyway, so no matter which way you go, you're still paying the same oligarchy. You're getting the same product. You're getting the same service. You're getting even the same phones, you know. So, yeah, we have these, you know, three or four massive cell phone companies and, you know, we're told this myth about competition. First off, these companies only exist because they bought up all the competition, anyone that was challenging them for their market share. So all we have left is, you know, some, you know, three or four or five, you know, ginormous conglomerates. They have completely monopolized the entire cell phone technology, which was, um, you know, developed in the public sector for decades before it was spun off and given to these companies. So, yeah, we're told this myth, but, like, just that's just one example. Like, would you call the cell phone industry uh, is this, this amazing thing with great competition and cheap prices, you know? Because that's, that's kind of the myth we're sold, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, like like we were talking about before, uh, every, everything's it, – it's throwaway culture, man. I mean, they, they purposely make stuff that wears out after two years, so you have to get the new one. And chances are the new one is just better at keeping track of you and making sure that, you know, they've got nails in your thumbs and, and you keep on staying in your little contract because it's the only way you can be a productive member of society. And it, it's 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 a trap, man. It's all it's all a trap. What do you think about uh, surveillance technology, human rights um you know, free speech, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we, I think I've made this example, like, you know, 50 years ago, if we told people, Hey, the government is going to have you chipped. They're going to know where you are at all times. They're going to know your heartbeat. They're going to know what time you go to bed. They're, they're going to know who you're talking to, who you're calling, how, you know, what time of day you're calling them, what websites you're going to, you know, uh, maybe the maybe websites didn't exist back then, but you get the idea. They're going to know right. every little detail, your banking in, information, your uh, you know, your your passwords, all the things that uh, maybe your fetishes and porn and, and, and sexual... And, and you're going to put this device in your pocket voluntarily. Volun- yeah, <laughs> yeah, voluntarily, and it's never going to leave your side. People will be like, what? What kind of crazy dystopian reality are you going to be living in? This is 1984 stuff. Like, no, no, we do this, and we do it all willingly, and they know everything about us. You know what I mean? Right. That's, no, that's why some... It's the manufacturer of consent. They they want to build a product, you know, that we can't live without. They want to they want to you know they want this consumerism. They want to you know train us. And uh, I mean, it definitely technology can be. It's always neutral. I think for the most part, maybe not the atomic bomb, but generally technology is neutral. It can be used for good things and bad things, you know. But you know, when it's used to steal our data, uh, spy on us, survey us, and then ultimately. You know, assassinate us because usually surveillance technology it starts out first with surveillance, but it doesn't take too many uh, too much longer before it can be developed into assassination type uh, weapons. Certainly, look at the Obama drone warfare campaign. I mean, first we had these right. drones that were great things to provide us intel and uh, information, and not much longer, you know, we're all of a sudden we're uh, assassinating people all over the world. And some of these drone assassinations, oh, we got our guy, but what they don't tell you is. He killed his whole family and maybe uh, a couple other people that lived in his neighborhood. You know what I mean? Except for the two family members we left alive that are now going to be radicalized terrorists we're going to have to go after later. Yeah. And that's that's why I think it's done, man. It's all by design. But on the pre-call, though, I want to – so it's it's tough. There's so many 
crazy things going on in the world, so many things uh, as a dissident, so many things that make me upset, that make me angry. But yet, you know, we have to be solutions-oriented. They want us to be angry. They want us to be apathetic. They want us to be um, depoliticized, you know, blame the government for everything, you know. Uh, they don't want us to organize. They don't want us to be, um, you know, to have solidarity for one another. Mutual. What's that, uh, what's that Malcolm X quote? We're not outnumbered. We're out organized. Yes. Yes. And that is it, man. And that's why. Have you ever heard the term uh, uh, parallel or uh, yeah, parallel system? So the idea is to set up kind of like we're talking about localized industries. Um, I mean, it, it's in my pinned tweet on the Twitter. Um, some guy wants us to call it X, but I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. But uh, um I mean, the basic idea is is set up community gardens, set up, uh, you know, different guilds of people who know how to do stuff and have them teaching other people in the community how to do it, Uh, you know, spread the knowledge, make it free. And and just as much as we can localize our consumption, because basically you have inactive consumers and then you have active consumers and active consumers are people who. Like, I want a cake, so I'm going to bake a cake. An inactive consumer is someone who goes to the store and then figures out what kind of cake they have available and then buys whatever's closest to what they want. And and so for so long now, we've been getting something that's closest to what we want and never actually getting what we want. And so we, we, we need to activate. We need to they, localize. They have us dependent. They have us dependent yes. on the system. Exactly. They have us exactly. ignorant. They have us unable to do maybe even some of the most basic things that uh, civilizations and communities were able to do 50 or 100 years ago. You know, we're, we're all, or at least many of us, are dependent on the system. We're wage slaves, spending the majority of our t- waking hours and time and majority of our lives, you know, working for the man, doing skills and jobs that we don't want to be really be doing. And we're so hyper-focused on some tiny, minute task, you know. Maybe it's spreadsheets or maybe it's driving a bus or a delivery van or whatever. And there's so many other skills that we need to have a successful life um, and and have a self-sustaining autonomous community. But they don't want that. They want us to be dependent on the system. They want us to have to go to the garage, you know, to fix our car and then, you know, get uh, our products from the store, from these big box stores. Oh, instead of mending clothes? Instead of mending your clothes, just throw them away and go buy another one that's cheap and going to fall apart in a week or whatever the second time you put it through a washer and dryer is. And, you know, I mean, God forbid somebody actually cooks themselves a home cooked meal anymore, man. I mean, it's like I see people who they, they don't even know how to boil an egg. And it's just like you, you should know how to boil an egg by the time you're 12. I mean, you should know how to I mean, you don't have to be good at it. But you should know how to make a meal, whatever, how simple it is. I mean, you could talk about boiling some top ramen and dropping an egg in it and letting it, you know, letting it poach to finish. You know, you should be able to do this by the time you're 12. There's people in their 30s and 40s who who can't even, I mean, they, they can follow the instructions on the back of a box, but you give them some raw ingredients and they're lost. And this is something that it baffles me. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've been in so many relationships, whether it be, you know, people I was romantically involved with or roommates or, or just people I was friends with that I was like, hey, yeah, I'll just cook this up real quick. And they're like, what? You can cook? It's like, yeah, it's pretty easy. You just take some cream, an egg yolk. I got Alfredo. Give me some cheese. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, <laughs> how hard is this? It's not, you know, but you have these people that are just 
just so broken by not understanding that. I mean, and it's institutionalized. That's what they want. That's what those in power want. They don't want us to be creative or autonomous or self-reliant. You know, they want us to be ignorant, apathetic, dumb, you know, and it's, it's part of the system. Like these things could be, could be taught in second grade, third grade, you know, instead of we're learning about, uh, I don't know, just as a cop out, the mitochondria, it's the powerhouse of the cell, you know, all this, useless you know factoids and uh you know they don't stuff that somebody's going to need to know because that's going to be their interested path but yeah you don't have to shove it down everybody's throat so hard and and then not give them the arts and the things that actually let them expand themselves and you know not teach them the actual sciences that might do more than just get them a job someplace that they hate i mean it's yeah, so that's what Chomsky talks about in his book, uh, Miseducation. The elites basically want an education system, um, you know, for elites, by elites to help them, you know, kind of preserve their class status and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they're the ones that get the higher education, the the leadership training, the politics, the philosophy, the arts, and maybe even the sciences too. I mean, you're going to have technocrats and engineers that have to, you know, contribute to the society. And everyone else, well, we just, you know, want – want forced ignorance, you know, and, and we want them indoctrinated to the system. And basically for the, for the rest of the population, maybe the 90% or whatever, the people that aren't going to be leaders and elites within the society, um, you know, basically just job training, you know, basically just a, a job training, you know, maybe a vocational school. Well, it's it's worse than that though. They want you to get into that job and only know one part of the production. There's no cross training. You specialize your task in one little part. Specialization, so, laser focus. that part goes down, you have massive layoffs. Instead of cross-training and making people so that they actually understand a wider scope of what's going on with that, impre- that, that production, because if they did that, then they might get smart enough to do it better than you. And they're so afraid of competition, they have to suppress it. That's where the boot on the neck comes in. I mean, it's, it's, if we actually had uh, 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 an eye-to-eye match against the, the any of these elites, we would win. Because, like, okay, say, like, when people say we need to seize the means of production, that doesn't mean torches and pitchforks. It means we are the means of production, us collectively. We are the ones that know how to do these things. They don't. The problem is, is we've been so pigeonholed into one narrow little aspect of it that we're lost to even think about the other ones. Whereas if we could cross-train and broaden the horizon of actually being able to grasp what that whole of production is, then we might realize, oh, wait a minute, we don't need them. We could do it better ourselves. And that's the point of a a parallel system is to to just say, we're going to cut off the revenue stream from the oligarchs. We're going to keep that in-house. We're going to spread the benefits of society more equally and make sure that the benefits of this company as a society is spread more equally. And then even, I mean, the janitor is going to be able to feed his family. And, 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 and that other guy on the line, he feeds his family too. And, and on a day where I'm kind of sick or I need a little bit of help or I'm trying to figure something out, that person who's over there working rivets can come tell me how to work the drill because they know both. Yeah, let me push back here. Like, I don't want to have, I don't think we need a janitor if we all pick up after ourselves, you know. I think the distribution of labor, you know, they, they want to have this hyper-focused specialization on one tiny, you know, specific thing uh, on the assembly line or whatever. And, yeah, they don't want us to know other jobs. That's uh, They want this, um, you know, institution where, you know, we come in, we punch our time card, we do one thing all day long. We don't really know how anything works, how it all fits together. And uh, that allows the elites to maintain their power over us 
you know, when we start talking to other people in different jobs and start learning and cross-training, you know, that's when we start to decide, hey, wait a minute, we don't need these bosses sitting in their air-conditioned offices. We don't need bosses at all. We can do this ourselves. And then you get strikes and organizations, and the sit-down strike is one step away from saying, hey, we're going to take over the factory. That's the means of production. The workers, you know, they run the factory. I think they ought to own them. You know, those who work in the mills ought to own them. That's going back to the, you know, the 19th century, um, uh, the factory girls of Lowell, Massachusetts. You know, I mean, this stuff is deep in our history. It's as American as apple pie. But the elites don't want us to know the, our history. And they don't want us to know about the, you know, the, the tactics that they've used to kind of maintain power, the violence in the American labor movement and the economic warfare. Yes. And I think slavery, um, the new form of debt is, a new, is the new slavery, you know, wage slavery. You don't even need to go that far. Just look at the prison. You want to see slavery? Something like half the food in America is grown by prison slaves. Wow. And most of them, people of color. Yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, the food that goes into Walmart, the food that goes to McDonald's, all of that stuff is grown, if it's grown here, by prison slaves. I mean, it's, it's sickening. It's sickening. And it's all coded. You know what I found out the other day, and I had to look it up because it blew my mind when the dude told, said it to me. You know, Frosted Flakes, Tony the Tiger, they're great. You know, they put PFAS the forever chemicals on that shit, the shit that they use. I don't know if we're allowed to swear. Sorry. Good. The stuff that the, stuff that they use to make your jacket water resistant. They put that on your frosted flakes. So it won't get soggy and milk. <laughs> and then they feed it to you yeah. and tell you it's great and put a cartoon tiger out there to keep you eating it. And there's no way that's the original recipe, you know, that any of that, that, that's the propaganda too. Like they they want um, uneducated consumers making irrational choices. So instead right. of um, you know someone a scientist a food scientist maybe coming on television and saying hey this is the makeup of these chemicals this is why or the, this is chemicals now you know now I'm so I'm so indoctrinated into our food system I just assume there's chemicals in it which there are but you know this is this is this is what's in frosted flakes so we got yeah you know, this is the the makeup of it this is why it's good for you this is why your kids should eat it here's some research um you know now go out and buy it and i think it's a great buy it's good um it's a, it's a cheap food source it's very valuable for you you don't have that at all we got a mf and tiger running around playing soccer with 10 kids and at the end right we're it's only a bowl of shit no I'll, I'll take you one i'll take you one further okay so i work for a place 30 years ago 30 years this place has been in business it's an artist and bakery it used to be a local mainstay for the seattle area right so over the years, they brought in this this guy who was an uh, he he worked for Oh Boy Alberto. So he came in and he he developed this thing where you could take organic, locally sourced community bread, put it in a jerky bag with one of them flavor saver packets, the little silica gel thing. You put that in there. Now you, that bread is shelf stable for six months. These people thought they had caught the money train. Now they can ship their bread all over the world, and they do. They ship this stuff to Japan, and it's horrible. It's a, it's it's it, it is a an absolute crap product, but they're making a lot of money, so they're like, cool, we're cashing in, we're cashing in. But they still do baked fresh daily, you know, other loaves of bread that we take to stores that are in, in the local area. So so the guy the guy from Oboy Alberto. He left. He actually went off. He went crazy. I think he's dead now. But he, so, you know, he, he went the way of the dinosaur. So now they bring in this dude 
who's a food scientist. That's what made me think about it when you start talking about food scientists. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, cool. This guy's going to want to know origin and nutrition and make sure all this stuff. No. You know what he does? He brings in enzymes because they're going to start putting that in the bread. So instead of molding after three days, it's not going to mold for seven. So we can go take that and have, and here's the term that kills me. You want to talk about nutrition? That's what I want to talk about. These guys are talking about shelf stable. And as soon as they stopped talking about nutritional content and started talking about shelf stable, we became the product. They want to be able to sit something out there. We're so desperate and hungry and broke that we're going to settle for the garbage that they put on the shelf in front of us. And we know that it's stable because the FDA tells us it's organic. This stuff still says it's organic. There's no way it's organic. This stuff still says it's GMO free. I guarantee you there is GMO in this product. But they get to put it on the label because the FDA gave them a stamp of approval. And now we've got this food scientist who comes in and goes, I can make it shelf stable for three times longer. You know, and, it's, it, and, and they're looking at this like it's this huge breakthrough, like it's going to save the company. And I'm like, no, you took an artisan bakery that now sells bread jerky and shelf stable loaves of yeast, flour and, and like water that you stick on a shelf over here and charge people nine dollars a friggin loaf for subpar bread and they're going to buy it happily because they think that oh it was all expensive it must be good and it's just it's absolute crap and 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 i'm watching this company that is the perfect i mean the company i work for is the perfect metaphor for for end-stage capitalism and and just the downward spiral spiral of our society because it's just like these people are cashing in the people in the offices are getting their bonuses and being all happy meanwhile the people on the production floor have to pull loaves of bread out of the garbage to feed their family because they're so broke. And it's just like this, that I look around every day at work and I'm like, this is America. And man, I want to get out of here. The vile maximum of capitalism, uh, all for ourselves, nothing for anyone else. I mean, all they're worried about is not making, not making nutritious products, not making affordable products or products that benefit the local community. Um, they're just, you know, trying to maximize shelf life and maximize, um, you know, profits and, uh, you know, maximize um, dividends for the shareholders or whatever if it's a pub- publicly traded company. So like, the only thing that matters is, is the is the almighty dollar, you know, and we should not have an education system based on, you know, money and, and wealth and, you know, an education system for elites only, an education system where, you know, $2 trillion of American students are in debt. And, um, yeah, we shouldn't have a, a food system that is shipping uh, bread all over the country uh, trying to maximize its shelf life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like you were saying. Well, here's uh, the other thing about that. Okay, another example. If you grow an onion in your yard and you harvest that onion when it's ready, you can put that in a dark cupboard or a pantry or something like that, right? And you can store that onion for six months. So here's what they do. They farm this onion wherever they farm it. They set it up in a silo. It sits there for three months. Now, keep in mind, this is a product that if you harvested it from your yard, you can hold on to this for six months and in six months eat uh, an onion it, it, it's just cured a little bit but it's still delicious so they let it sit in a silo for three months then it sits on a ship or a truck or a plane or whatever for another month sits in another warehouse for another month by the time you get this thing this onion that should last you six months when you put it in your hand 
Now you get it. You put it on your cupboard. One week later, it's rotten because it spent the entire, you know, the part of its life where it was actually nutritious. It was sitting there waiting for the price to hit a particular point so they could sell it to you and maximize the profit of it. It's, it's globalized supply chain. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. And, there, you know, there's no economic value. For example, let's go to like Thailand or, you know, Indochina, where a lot of our shoes and clothing are produced. There's no economic advantage um, that you know, maybe Thailand or um, Nike has a lot of factories. They don't have an economic advantage for shoes. What they do have is an insanely cheap sweatshop labor force that can, will make right. shoes for pennies a day uh, when right. the shoes could be made, you know, just down the street or in a warehouse on, on my block, you know. But because they're made by children and sweat and women in sweatshop uh, conditions for pennies on the dollar, they're shipped all over the world, you know. And, and well, here's the important thousands part. Thousands of miles to get to the store where they're upcharged and on price gouge just to put them on exactly. my Exactly. And it's not just one person upcharging and price gouging. By the time you get that pair of shoes, it has gone through no less than five or six middlemen. All taking a cut. On, All taking a cut. Check on their 15 to 35% upcharge. You know, and then you go, I mean, if you go back, I mean, here's the other thing. If you go back to the onion, right? By the time they've shipped that onion across the globe so you could get it to your dinner table a week before it rots, they've put more packaging per weight into shipping that onion than the actual weight of the onion itself. So now the people who sold them the packaging, each time it went from, you know, silo to truck to warehouse, I mean, it gets packaged and repackaged and then resorted out from a bigger package to smaller packages. It gets processed down a little bit further. Every time you jump that little middleman in there, it jumps that price up a little bit more. So if you actually did it next to you, it would actually end up being cheaper or the same cost because you're cutting out the half a dozen middlemen that made it so you're paying 90% more or, you know, or nine times more than it originally cost. So much waste, too. I mean, instead of just going to your local farmer and grabbing an onion and coming back home, you know, you got to right. get plastic bags and boxes right. and, you know, just so it can, you know, fit on the little stand there before well, it rots away. Fuel and transport. That was the next thing I was going to get to. So, so much waste. Of course, we treat the the planet like a garbage, uh, you know, like a garbage can, and we have you know islands in the Pacific of just trash and plastic and uh, forever, forever chemicals in our environment. Um, rates of cancer are skyrocketing. I saw like something I think for um, people under the age of fifty, which was unheard of. Um, cancer rates are going up 98 percent. Or something like that. And I think a lot of it is because of the crap we eat. I mean, certainly the chemicals and everything that were put in the environment. But, you know, the the, the preservatives. Well, especially the down by you. You live by, you live by Cancer Alley that, that runs between Texas and Louisiana. Yeah, that's a little Cancer bit. Yeah, that's, there are like 17 times higher than they are anywhere else in the country. Pretty yeah, I think that's that, that area between, uh, yeah, Texas and Louisiana, Cancer Alley, yeah. right there where I think they, they um, I think that's where a lot of the oil refinery is done for much of the United States. So all kinds right. of chemicals. Yeah. Guess what was there before they did all of that? A bustling and thriving black community. So they went ahead and just said, well, that's where we're going to put all of our refineries because they don't vote and don't matter. So screw them. And, and it's like, Decisions like that being made on those premises are, are, are so much the, 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 the fault uh, of our system of governance 
our economy, you know, everything that drives society at this point is so failing us. And, you know, it's, it's that authoritarian, it's that, that, that singular authority over everybody else. And I, th I think the only, the only solution to that is collectivism. We, we, we have to, we have, we have to, consolidation has never been our friend. We need to break the consolidation. We need to, um, you know, parse out the power, show people what it's like to have power over their own lives and watch them thrive on it. I mean, something you thought that, or even they thought they could never handle, you put them in those situations and they find out, wow, that's actually not too hard. Why was that billionaire? Why was that billionaire telling me I couldn't do it because I didn't have eight years of college that mommy and daddy paid for, so I didn't have to go into the real world after eighteen? You know, what I mean, it's like how many. And the, the Western hypocrisies are, are so absurd. You know, the hypocrisies, uh, the the lies, the myths. I just talked a little bit about competition. It doesn't breed capitalism. It doesn't breed competition. It it is oligarchical. You know, kind of control. Let's even talk about like the the medicine. You know the big pharma here in the United States who made billions and billions in record profits in, uh, during a global pandemic. Um, you know, you have a handful of pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, that are price gouging us on medications that you know, Americans desperately need uh, because we're a so-called capitalist country. Um, you know, the government can't use its um, bargaining power uh, to negotiate you know, lower prices. Um, and then, you know, when, when we have these um, new drugs that are, uh, whatever invented usually, you know, through the university systems, which is subsidized by the government and taxpayers. You know, they, well, they chances are they drugs. just like most of the new drugs that are invented are them just the tweaking drugs, on an old drug. Yeah. So that they can get another patent. It's, then, it's just yeah. a way to su su suppress access. And then, you know, and it, it patents like some chemical uh, compound or whatever, like there might be, uh, so that no one can even, you know, produce it. And uh, there might be like a way, hey, we can make this cheaper, check this out, or, you know, we can produce it this way. It's a lot more efficient, you know, but those things right. are out. If instead of using gasoline as a source material, maybe we use this leaf from a plant that you can actually eat without dying and get the same stuff. I mean, yeah, it's it's sickening. So it stifles innovation in these patents and it also allows, you know, monopolistic pricing rights to these big pharmaceutical companies, uh, which is the main reason that, uh, you know, we have the most expensive healthcare system yep. in the world. It's completely dysfunctional. Yep. In fact, we don't have a healthcare system. We have a scandal, you know, so just allowing, you know, and then people might say, um, you know, well, well, you know, if if we don't let these big pharmaceutical companies patent their their drugs, what's what's going to keep people from, uh, you know, innovating? Why, why would people innovate? You know, it's like, oh, I don't know, to make a better planet, to make people less sick, to eradicate diseases, to build better communities, healthier communities. You know what I mean? Like, why must there why must there be this profit motive? Like, oh, you know, if there's not this massive profit motive, you know, scientists and doctors they're just going to quit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, and two two points on that. One, most of the medical stuff that they come up with, the big breakthroughs, come from indigenous knowledge, ancient wisdoms that they find a way to synthesize. Number two point: sixty percent of pharmaceuticals that these com that these companies come up with are eventually, after fifteen to twenty years, deemed unsafe for human consumption. 60% of the medicines that these people tweak a molecule or whatever, we eventually find out that, oh, that thing that's supposed to, uh, you know, keep you from getting glaucoma. Oh, but it, it, it also makes you like 
crap your intestines inside out. And now you have guts outside of your body. You basically disemboweled yourself for glaucoma. Have fun. You know, and it, it, it's, they fail a majority of the time. And yet we're so beholden to them just breaks my brain. Yeah, I think you know, open sourcing is like a great thing, and um, you know these, these corporations, you know, the, the profit motive, exercising control uh, over over the general population, maintaining that control. Um, that, that's the only incentive, you know. And there's so much waste, and then we can get to like you were talking about, like these global supply chains. How much time, effort, money, fossil fuels, uh, pollution, just to ship an onion halfway around the world? Okay. Well, yeah, it can easily just be grown. Uh, you know, a couple miles outside of town. Check this out. Here's what's going to break your brain. Over half what is shipped overseas is fuel to fuel shipping. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if that doesn't absolutely break your brain, I don't know what will. Because when I I heard that, it's another one that I had to do a dive on, man. I was like, dude, this can't be right. And I looked it up. Sure enough. That makes sense. Like four different sources. If you watch, like, first off, like the billionaire space races, the dick measuring contests in outer space, basically, you know, it's a propaganda apparatus to get people um, to, you know, be okay with, you know, our tax dollars going to fund um, you know, high technology industry, you know, giving billions of dollars to SpaceX and whatever, Blue Origin, all these nonsense, nonsensical companies, these absurd companies that we don't need. We don't need to be worrying about terraforming Mars. We don't need to be worrying about going to the moon. Well, if you do, it should be a global people's effort. Sure, but how about we solve hunger first? How about we solve yeah. the problems on Earth? How about food scarcity and scarcity of water and pollution? I mean, I think, yes, I think science is a great thing, but NASA is just a front for high-tech industry for essentially Elon Musk putting, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of satellites into space, causing, you know, massive amounts of global garbage, or I'm sorry, you know, space garbage, space junk. Eventually, at some point, we're not even going to be able to get outside of our orbit, and of course, this stuff falls down to Earth. Because it could kill people, destroy, uh, you know, houses, communities, buildings, anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the problems here on Earth are a lot more, you know, I think we're, we're certainly going to be able to clean up the planet Earth a lot more easily than we can terraform Mars. And I've said this before. I mean, they're not taking us with us. If they ever are able to, you know, terraform Mars and set up a colony there, I mean, they're not bringing 8 billion of us with us. So at some point, we're all probably stuck down here. So we better figure out our planet. They probably have a ratio. They probably have a ratio of how many of us they need to take to support their lifestyles. Yeah, I mean, we would just be wage slaves on a different planet, you know, right. with probably right. less freedoms and, you know, probably in debt. It'll probably be like a new form of uh, indentured servitude. Like, hey, you know, we'll take you to Mars with us, but unfortunately, you know, you and your children and your children's children are going to be enslaved to us, uh, you know, but eventually you'll be able to have the freedoms that <laughs> us elites on Mars have, you know? Right. Yeah, if they even ever touch the soil of Mars, they probably sit up in some orbital and, and and have the workers down below mine everything so that, that, that they can keep going. It's it's which is funny because that's where um that's where Elon got his money, right? His family's money from an apartheid mineral mine. Yeah, emeralds. Emerald mine, that's right. Yeah, they used black slaves and now he uses child slaves to get his lithium. It's 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 really the way he's advanced the family business is astonishing. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. We have uh, maybe 10 more minutes to go. What about, um, you had mentioned maybe someone close to you, um, you know, committed suicide. Uh, we don't have to mention their name or anything like that. But Yeah, very, very impressive, dude. I actually just found out about it today, but apparently it happened last month. And uh, no one I knew really well, but, I, you know, I touched base with on time to time. It definitely felt, you know, a connection to, I mean, it's we, we're all travelers, man. We're all travelers on the same starship. And here we are, you know, dividing ourselves on racial lines or cultural lines or class lines or, you know, whatever. And, 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 and it's, it's very lonely for some people. And it, it, it's really a shame that, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I have plenty of people around me. If I'm ever down, I, I, I've got somebody who can lift me up. You know who's usually the best? My dog. <laughs> If I'm ever down, man, the dog is there. No, but, like, uh, yeah, almost always. Happens. Yeah, every time, man. And, yeah. and, and but it's one of those things where there's so many people out there, and you see them. You probably step over them in the street. You probably, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you, yeah. you, you see them down on their luck, and and really just if maybe that one person could just reach out and say, "Hey, you're okay," or "Hey, do you need a hand?" or you know whatever it takes, you know. And it's, it's just sad. I mean, I I used to work in casino industry, and 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 it's one of the places where a lot of suicide in that industry, I've lost, you know, over two dozen coworkers and, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's, you know, and I, many of the players and it's, it's just something where these people are in these desperate downward cycles and there's no way to dig yourself out of it alone. And sometimes you just need that hand or, or just someone to say, Hey, here's a hand if you need it. And even if you don't, even if you just go, you know what, it's nice that it's there, but I think I'm going to do this on my own. Maybe that's what empowers you, but it's, uh, Together we are stronger, and, and it's a shame that there's some people who feel absent from the together at any time. Um, but again, I think that's by design as well. I think that they keep us divided for a reason. I think that they they fear what would happen if uh, enough of us could thrive as one, you know, and that's, you know. They want to keep us itemized for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think that they're – are a lot of people, I mean, this is just my theory. I don't want to be insensitive. I think there are people that have real mental health problems and, and that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of people sold this, you know, kind of bill of goods that they have depression or some mental health issue, um, you know, anxiety or whatever, when maybe they just have a shit job. Maybe they're just a wage slave. And maybe the fact that, um, you know, real wages haven't kept up for inflation for decades. Uh, we're in a cost of living crisis. People are struggling. People are having to work two and three jobs. Again, go back to the $2 trillion student loan debt debacle. The Biden administration did absolutely nothing to, you know, kind of stop that. So, I mean, we're destroying the planet. We have uh, a two-party system, which is just basically just a one-party state, the business party, the capitalist party, the corporate party. Um, there's a lot of problems, you know, and I think a lot of those problems can be fixed with co-ops and community involvement. And, people and some kind of fulfillment. People need fulfillment. And right now we have a very unfulfilling reality. And if you are a, a, a highly vibrational being in an unfulfilling reality, it, it's just going to break you down, you know, because I see a lot of low vibration individuals walking around and they are perfect for this world. And you know what? They can, they can be left to it. There are those of us who 
can't be satisfied in this reality. And, and, and I think that's actually a strength as long as we're willing to find it. And, I, and unfortunately, a lot of people, they don't get a chance to get to that point of finding and, and they just get lost and alone and downward spiral, either turn to like drug addiction or, or they, you know, in, introvert themselves to, to, you know, being the key, one of the keyboard warrior trolls that I'm battling with every once in a while when I can't just get this idiot out of my head, you know, or, or, you know, or they, they, or they make the final salute and they end up ending it. And that's just, it's sad. It's sad, but it's totally recognizable. And I see why it happens. The solution is easy. Um, not every time easy, but for the most part, I think it's just a matter of, uh, having a fulfilling reality. And right now there's no room for fulfillment unless you're part of the dynastic legacy that was, you know, lucky sperm club. Here you go. Yeah. You know, and other than that, screw you. And that's, we need, we need to, we need to steer away from that. People talk about too, like, Oh, you know, we're a company that, you know, takes mental health seriously. You know, here's your, I don't know, here's your 15 minute, uh, you know, break in the afternoon. Like, Hey, maybe people just need more time off more freedom. Maybe they don't need an eight hour work day sitting in an office in a dungeon all day long on a computer, on a spreadsheet, doing a, you know, having laser like focus on the most mundane task ever. Maybe sometimes they just need a day off or a week off or six months off to go learn a new skill, to learn a new hobby, to go to Europe and learn to paint, to go to, you know, uh, the Philippines or anywhere. I mean, I I think we have such a Eurocentric uh, focus here on travel. So anywhere, uh, New Zealand, uh, North Korea, why not? I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful. I know their government uh, has had some issues there, but I mean, this yeah. world is, is an amazing place, a beautiful place. Probably every country in the world has some awesome things that I've never even known about or heard about. Uh, you know, local cultures, customs. I mean, maybe they just want to, someone, I, for example, would be one. Maybe I just want to sit outside and enjoy the beautiful uh, clouds and read a little bit here. Listen to the birds. We never have like five minutes to just sit and chill. You know, we're always stuck in these offices, manufactured deadlines, uh, manufactured scarcities, commoditized. I mean, we're essentially, you know, cogs in the capitalist machine of production. We're not treated like human beings or people. We're just tools of production used to make profits for elites. And, you know, we spend the majority of our waking hours in this for a lot of people is this endless job on this treadmill economy going nowhere. And I think, uh, people long for freedom. They long to do things on their own terms, creativity. Well, they just want to feel like their time matters. Yeah. You know, one of the, that's why one of the first things I want to do with the company that I'm starting is once I have employees, it'll be an employee owned company. The other thing I want to do is I want to push three minutes and take us out. Give us your vision, your blueprint for the future, a better planet. And then uh, we'll end it and we'll catch up in a couple months. So, so, so here's, here's my plan. Employee owned. First thing you got to expose people to the, to the power of leadership and you got to, it's the only way, it's the only way to make sure you're not going to devalue labor. Second thing I'm going to push for at launch 30 hour work week. I would like by the time we have any kind of considerable production in place to drop that to 26, maybe even 24. So you're talking like you can work four, six hour shifts. You can work two twelves, whatever you want to do. You get, you put in your time with the company. You've got your partnership role. If you need to take two weeks off and then come back in and make up for it over a couple of weeks or who cares if you make it up? Welcome. You know, I'm glad you had your time. You know what I'm saying? Be able to stop looking at this. You need, five eights or, or, or four tens or 40 hours. 
no, we're not commodities. Like you said, man, I mean, we, we got to just feel the fulfillment. And then all of a sudden what's going to happen is when people aren't at work, they're going to come back and go, hey, check out this thing I've been working on. And then guess what? The work gets stronger. The business gets stronger. And we will outgrow all of our competition that run by on an authoritarian model, hands down. I love it, man. I love it. People want freedom. They want uh, they want to have their input. They want to have their voices heard. They don't want to be exactly. told what to do. They want to be part of the decision. They want to be part of the the company. They want to feel like they matter. They want to use yeah, their I creativity. I don't want employees. Out. I want partners. No, no doubt. We don't need leaders. I don't want leaders. You know, I want political representatives. You know, I want people that are going to do what I tell them to do. You know, majority rules, 51 over 49. This is where we're going to do things. And I think politics should be, let's try, try out trial and error. You know, maybe we're going to get it wrong, but eventually in the long run, the grand scheme, hopefully we get it right. I think the people are a lot more uh, right than these, you know, these oligarchs that uh, won the genetic or whatever, the birth lottery. I mean, I think, um, give us some time. We'll figure it out. Majority rules. I, I view, um, you know, knowledge within the, within the, what's that thing? Wisdom within the herd or something like that. Like, you know, that, that sort of thing where, you know, if you have enough people together, we're going to eventually get this thing right. Especially people that are able to talk that aren't itemized, that aren't just cogs in the capitalist machine, but they're, you know, they, they, they have a lot of skill sets. They can boil an egg. They can bake bread. They can mend mend uh, their own shirts and tend the fields. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what I need in my local co- commune, uh, anarcho-communism. And I just had a uh, an anarchist on this weekend, Enrico uh, Malatesta. He said, I don't want to liberate the people. I want the people to liberate themselves. That's what I want, too. And I think that's knowledge it. is the, the, the way we're going to do that. Knowledge is power. We need to spread this these types of ideas. Solutions- it's got to be a people's movement. Bottom up, solutions based. I, I like we talked about in the pre call. We could be bitching for an hour straight, but uh, you know why don't we bitch a little bit and then try to get some ideas uh, out to how, how to make this world a better place? Because God know we need God knows we need them. You know a lot of these ideas are not new. I'm not brilliant. You're not brilliant. These are recycled ideas that people like Ben Franklin have talked about. You know, right. All right, my man. Let's catch up again sooner rather than later. I really appreciate your time. Until cool next time. Vibe. All right, my, all right, brother. Have a good night, man. Peace. You too. See ya. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Eric Bison, a wannabe farmer with an idea, for a great discussion on alternatives to capitalism and ideas for a better future society. Again, I am your host, MC squared, no gods, no masters, I'm out.